shot. He's got the touchdown. And Mahomes at bay. The Tampa Bay Bucks. Super Bowl 55. Hello and welcome to the Bucks Banter Podcast. As always, I am your host, Colin Hallboom, and I'm happy to be here. Well, the 2021 NFL Draft has now come and gone, which means it is time for me to summarize the entire draft and talk about a whole bunch of stuff. I'm going to start off with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers picks. I'm going to move into my favorite players selected in terms of where they were selected, uh, biggest steals pretty much, the guys I like. And then I'm going to move into a section where I am going to coin the 10 best drafts, meaning which teams did the best for themselves, which teams helped their cause the most from where they were heading into the draft to now where they'll be heading into the season. Obviously, that neglects any free agency acquisitions or anything to happen between now or the beginning of the NFL season in September. So let's get going. Um, I want to start with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, Round one, 32nd overall, Joe Tryon. Uh, edge rusher out of Washington. We've talked about Joe Tryon a whole bunch on previous episodes. Obviously, a very physically gifted edge rusher coming off of uh, an opt-out, so he didn't play this past season. Jason Light talked a lot about his mental makeup, how how well he did in uh, their Zoom interviews, and just how well-suited this player is to fit what it is they're looking to add which is someone who can be effective in a uh, situational pass rushing presence for, for this first season and the ability to grow into much more with a nice high ceiling as an individual player. So I don't want to talk too much about Joe Tryon. I got a whole bunch of guys I want to touch on. Um, okay, with the second pick in the second round, 64 overall, Kyle Trask, quarterback out of the University of Florida. Someone uh, many Bucks fans are extremely familiar with. This is a contentious pick amongst the Buccaneers faithful. Um, And I'm not going to lie. I was disappointed with the selection, if I'm being completely honest. Um, There were, I mean, if they had to go quarterback there, I would have much preferred Davis Mills out of Stanford. Um With that being said, I will accept it and cheer for Kyle Trask with everything I got. And I hope that he can he can develop into much more than just a serviceable backup. But yeah, I mean, I just think with that pick 64th overall, that's a good pick. The Bucs like they were in such a cool position this year, um, having returned all their starters for next year. They're already ready to go. They're locked and loaded. So I, I felt like taking your shots on some extremely high ceiling players would be the way to go. That's at least the way that I would have done it. Uh, I would say they did that in the first round with Joe Tryon. So no qualms from me in regards to that selection. Kyle Trask, I mean, I don't know what his ceiling is, but there's um, a plethora of physical limitations, one might say, uh, that I think really limit his ceiling as an NFL player. He's a little bit of a one-hit wonder, very inexperienced, and his physical traits, his arm strength, his mobility, his ability to improvise on the field and make plays happen when nothing's going on, these are all things 
that uh, would be considered weaknesses of his. So ultimately, he's the opposite of the type of player I would have liked to take there. Whereas a, a quarterback like Davis Mills out of Stanford, he's a little he's also unproven at the collegiate level, but number one prospect coming out of high school, tons of talent, incredible arm. Um, so, I mean, that's just my personal preference. Don't like the Kyle Trask pick, uh, but hopefully he works out and I can eat my words because that would that would be preferred by me. Uh, in the third round, the Jason Light selected with the 95th overall selection, Robert Hainsey, who was a right tackle at Notre Dame, 6'5", 300 pounds. It's a multi-year team captain, something you like to see uh, for an offensive tackle. You know, firstly, coming out of Notre Dame, that's great. Uh, they It seems to be a real factory for O-linemen. Um, add in the physical size, that's also great. But uh, the funny thing about this player is even though he played, he started his last couple seasons as a right tackle, he projects to be to move under the inside in the NFL. And Jason Light has said as much as well. They, they see him being a versatile guy capable of playing center or guard at the NFL level. So he kind of replaces Joe Hag as that like swing interior offensive lineman for them, which is valuable. And we've got Aaron Stinney as well. So I'm feeling really good about shoring up some depth along the offensive line. I don't know a ton about Robert Hainsey. He's not a guy who came across my film study prior to the draft. Uh, but, um, you know, hopefully he he can prove to be a serviceable addition to the team. And the one thing I will say, uh, I've talked before, I've, I've mentioned on Twitter, guy I like to give credit to when credit's due, uh, Brandon Thorne is the certified offensive line expert, my favorite go-to guy when I want to know. So as soon as I saw Robert Hainsey was our, was our pick, I, I just had to scour Brandon Thorne's material and see, is this a guy that he endorses or is it someone he wasn't too high on? And he he's a big fan of Robert Hainsey. Uh, he does find him better suited for a zone running scheme, rushing scheme, which is not the uh, Buccaneers forte. So he was a little bit surprised by the fit. He thought maybe he could have been a little more valuable in a different scheme where they do run that zone rushing scheme. But, um, you know, as opposed to the Buccaneers vertical passing attack. Uh, but he had him as his 10th ranked interior offensive lineman overall. He described him as a technician and said he has pristine technique, fundamentals and efficiency. I'm good with this pick. So, so far, according to my own assessment, the Buccaneers are two out of three. Uh, in in picks I'm happy with. Now, my favorite pick of the draft for the Buccaneers occurred in round four with the 29th, 129th overall selection. They took a uh, small, undersized receiver, Jalen Darden, out of North Texas, a uh, wide receiver. And this guy, if you don't know anything about Jalen Darden, you need to – and I didn't know much about J Jalen Darden before the draft, but I've I've studied up on him, and I'm really jacked up. The more I watch, the more excited I get. He's a really shifty player, incredibly elusive, super exciting, just an ankle breaker. So check his highlights out. Trust me, I implore you to do that. Um, versatile athlete in general. He was an all-district quarterback in high school. Started out uh, as a backup receiver for the uh, Mean Green of North Texas. And uh, he was their like primary return guy as a, as a freshman. Uh, and then I think he was just too good. He was just too effective to keep off the field. And last season, he was second in the nation in receiving touchdowns with 19. 
Uh, he had 31 receiving touchdowns over his last 21 games played at the college level. Just uh, mind-blowing production. I mean, you gotta you gotta take it with a grain of salt. He's he's with the competition he's playing coming out of North Texas, but what what more is the guy supposed to do? Uh, he did everything he could and then some. He was third in the nation in receiving yards per game, averaging 132 yards. He averaged eight plus over eight receptions a game. So he was also the Conference USA Most Valuable Player. Obviously, then a first team All Conference receiver. Uh, so he has been drafted to be our next kick returner, I think, right away. He's going to replace Jaden Mickens, who is, it's worth mentioning, I thought did a really great job in our postseason run. I mean, go back, watch the tape of that Super Bowl. He's given us great field position every time. Uh, with that being said, though, he does not have the potential or explosive potential of someone like Jalen Darden. And I'm really excited to watch this kid. He's small, so it's kind of a different look. Like, Scotty Miller's small but he's still more of a vertical threat. Like he's a straight line, fast guy. Jalen Darden is fast in a straight line and he's fast in all, all sorts of misdirection stuff. So really excited about Jalen Darden. Love the pick. Uh, and that really, you know, that that's th those first four rounds. That's, that's anyone you could expect to contribute positionally. I think the rest of our picks were all focused on uh, acquiring special teams players, guys who can come in and contribute right away on special teams, which is something that has been emphasized. Uh, Bruce Arians loves talking about specials, and it was clear that the Bucks draft agenda was, was heavily invested in addressing their special teams. Uh, we lost Ryan Smith, who was a, just an ace, special teams ace all around. Love Ryan Smith. I believe he's with the Titans now. Uh, and he's going to try and play some corner. I imagine that's probably what enticed him to leave. Um, and then we lost a couple other guys uh, who were valuable in specials. So uh, in the fifth round, 176 selection, we took KJ Britt, who's a linebacker at Auburn. And he's just like a throwback linebacker, like an aggressive, hard-hitting dude. He's six foot, 235, um, but just an absolute thumper. Like he's no Levante David. He's not fast. He's horrible in coverage. Uh, but he is a special team stud. He just crushes dudes. And um, he played really well at the Senior Bowl, which has become a bit of a theme. I, I know Jason Light loves good Senior Bowl performers. Um, I believe that uh, Hainsby, Hainsey, pardon me, was uh, also would, was one of the guys who really excelled at the Senior Bowl when he kicked in, played a bunch of center there. Um, so, yeah, K.J. Britt, hard hitter. He, uh, he had in 13 games in his one full year as a starter in 2019, he had 69 tackles, 10 tackles for loss, two and a half sacks, graded as one of the best run defenders in the country. Uh, and this dude is jacked up. So not only does he jack people up, he himself is jacked up. So, I mean, that doesn't really stand for shit, but he hits guys hard. He's a throwback. So hopefully he crushes it on special teams and becomes a valuable asset in, in that area. Skipping ahead to the seventh round, I forgot to mention that we actually moved up in the fourth to take Jalen Darden. As a result, we sacrificed our sixth round selection as well as our own fourth rounder. So we didn't have a pick in the sixth round. Um, in the seventh, again, it was obvious. Everyone knew it at this point. We're just focused on special teams. So Chris Wilcox is a cornerback at a BYU. Stupid fast. He ran a 4-3-40. Uh, not great reviews on his performance as a cornerback for BYU, 
but I mean, we picked him 251st. This is the seventh round we're talking about, the last round of the draft. So I'm uh, all but certain he was drafted to be a gunner on special teams. So hopefully he can put that speed to good use. He is apparently an effective tackler. So you can imagine great speed uh, and being a good tackler. Those those two attributes should lend kindly to an effective career as a special teamer. Let's hope well, he's got to make the team first, right? And uh, that same uh, requirement, having to make the team, will apply to Mr. Irrelevant, the last pick in the 2021 NFL draft. That's right. He was a Buccaneer. Um, Grant Stewart, who was uh, listed as a linebacker, but kind of a hybrid, played a lot of safety at Houston. He was a Houston Cougar. Uh, a lot of people who followed that team considered him to be their best defensive player last year anyway. Super high energy, like no quit guy. I, and I should like I don't know this from watching. This is just from the research, and and I've been pouring over every bit of information and tape that I can on these guys. So it's, I can't say I've sat and watched all the Houston Cougars games last year, right? Um, but yeah, he's a really good tackler. He's tough as nails, and he has he has quite the uh, quite the backstory in terms of his life, and he's had a really tough upbringing. And I know Jason Light is a sucker for that. He loves a good. Uh, Cinderella story. So Grant Stewart was a phenomenal special teams performer. That was an area he excelled at throughout his career at Houston. Uh, he was just so good there. They had to. He was. He was also a, a defensive force for them. So our last three picks are all special teamers, as far as I'm concerned. That's all you got to look at them as, which is fine. Um, in evaluating our draft as a whole, if I had to grade it out, I would give it a C. And I'm sorry, but I'm just giving you my honest opinion here. I'm not playing if you know if you're a Bucks fan and you're like, what the hell, man? Well, I'm sorry. That's how I feel. I think this was a chance for us to really go for high potential guys, like take some swings, take some shots. Um, we did that with Jalen Darden. I'm I'm fine with the Tryon pick because he has a high ceiling. And I'm also fine with the Hainsey pick. It's just that Kyle Trask one really put a wrench in uh in applying that philosophy that I would have preferred um, taking him at 64th as the sixth quarterback off the board after those top five. I just, I don't know. We'll see. Hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully I'm wrong. So I want to zip through or attempt to zip through. I got a, I got a ton of notes here. Uh, I want to talk about my favorite picks of the draft. So I'm going to go round by round, which players were my favorite picks based on the value or maybe the the fit or the need for the team, uh, whatever the the logic is, uh, for whatever reason, they were my favorite player. or some of my favorite picks in that particular round. So in the first round, Justin Fields at 11, the Bears um, gave up a future first and fourth in, in next year's draft to swap spots with the Giants to move from 20 up to 11 to take Fields. He is my favorite quarterback in the draft, probably my favorite player in the draft. And... Um, you know, I've I've spent a good amount of time criticizing the Chicago Bears and how they've been unable to a, accumulate a. They've actually acquired a pretty decent collection of players, especially on the defensive side, but just unable to put them in positions to succeed. And I think Matt Nagy's on his last legs there. So we'll see if Justin Fields can uh, can take them somewhere they haven't been in a while. And, and they need to show that they can run an effective offense, especially when you consider that's what Nagy was brought there for, right? That's what he's known for. So let's see if, unlike Mitchell Trubisky, Matt Nagy can customize the offense to fit Justin Fields. 
luckily for Nagy, Fields is so versatile and such a great passer and runner. I, I just can't see him not being successful as long as they put him in a position to succeed. Um, and then, funny enough, the team that they traded with, the Giants, uh, they took, they took, or sorry, the incorrect. That that's the next pick I want to get to. Um, but actually, shit, let's just talk about it now. The, the team they switched with, the Giants, at twenty, took Kadarius Tony, uh, one of my favorite players, also receiver out of uh, at the University of Florida. I think he's a big reason why Kyle Trask put up such impressive numbers. I think when you're throwing a Kadarius Tony. And Kyle Pitts, it's going to be a lot easier to be successful. Not to say Trask isn't wasn't great in his last year at Florida. He was, but Kadarius Tony is legit. I've talked a ton about him. I've written a lot about him. So no need to dive in there any further. Uh, the Titans, Tennessee Titans at 22. They got Caleb Farley. And um, I've also talked about Caleb Farley. He had all these injury concerns. Coming out of Virginia Tech, he, he he's had two back surgeries. He opted out of his last year, um, which is fine. I mean, I have no criticism of someone doing that. Shit, I probably would have too with how the world was. Um, but Farley has incredible physical attributes, like like a top 10 talent in the entire draft. They got him at 22. I love that. Like, that's a swing. They're taking a swing there. And if he if he pops, then that is just an incredible addition to the Titans team at a position of need. Uh, and lastly, Greg Newsom, another cornerback like Caleb Farley. Uh, the Browns got him at 26. I think that's phenomenal value. I had a feeling that Newsom might shoot up boards as the draft was approaching, and, and I could have seen him going before we even got to pick 20. However, he was around at 26. Cleveland Browns took advantage, and uh, they, have, they have a tremendous secondary, and they're just continue to add pieces all over the place. Anyway, that sums up my my four favorite picks from the first round. In the second round, and I'm going to try and go through these a little bit quicker as I go, but I also want to make sure that I am properly articulating and and uh, providing some valuable information on these guys. Because if I just say their names, that's not not all that uh, useful for any listeners or viewers. Um, so in the second round, 52nd overall, the Browns again struck gold, in my opinion, with Jeremiah Wusu. Koromoa, J-O-K. You've heard his name a lot if you follow the Bucks Banter podcast. He has like Levante David type potential. Okay, Bucks fans, that's what I see. Maybe I don't think he's going to be Levante David, but he has that kind of that kind of game. This this new age linebacker and Levante David went 58th overall. Uh, Koromoa 52nd. Of course, Levante David was in the 2012 draft to your Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, another guy who slipped, and I don't understand why. Well, I, I I guess I do. I guess there were some knee issues that potentially rose some red flags for teams in the medicals. In fact, it must have been a bunch of teams because he was still around at fifty. He was a guy I was I was just begging for the Bucks to take with uh, their first round pick. But yeah, Aziz Ojolari, uh, defensive end, edge rusher, out of Georgia. Um, he's awesome. He's awesome. So he went to the Giants. And uh, I think that's a huge scoop for them. So there you go. I already They already took Kadarius Toney. And here they take Aziz Ojolari. He's got to make you think they're going to make my top 10 drafts if I love their first two picks so much. Um, at 47th, the 47th overall pick in the second round, Asante Samuel Jr. to the Chargers. Love that. I wrote about him a lot as a consideration for the Bucks at 32. 
Obviously, that didn't happen. I expected him to come off the board real early um, in the second round. He, he, he stuck around for 15 picks, so that's surprising to me. I think that's phenomenal value. Again, a great one-two for the L.A. Chargers, similar to the New York Giants, um, because they got Rashawn Slater in the first round at 13. Tremendous value on those guys. I also talked about uh, the fact that I was surprised to see safety at a TCU Trevon Morig slide to 43. And I, I also talked about how Mike Mayock kind of redeemed himself from that Alex Leatherwood reach at 17 in the first round. Um, Trevon Morig, great value. Good player. Tough as nails. I think there were there was a back injury he, he, that happened deadlifting or something uh, leading up to the draft pretty recently. And I think some... MRIs or scans revealed something that maybe spooked some teams, but uh, that's just a report I read. Tevin Jenkins, offensive tackle out of Oklahoma State. Uh, he went 39th to the Bears. Um, that's another team who ha- – this is a second player that I've mentioned already for them. Um, a little foreshadowing for you. Uh, I've talked about Tevin Jenkins in my first round, uh, my first round review, so I don't want to do that too much. Great pick there. Uh, and the Cardinals at 49, taking Rondale Moore uh, out of Purdue. This guy is wicked. He is real small, 5'7", 180, kind of in a similar mold in, in terms of um, his height anyway to uh, Jalen Darden, who the Bucks took in the fourth. Rondale Moore is an athletic freak, and, and calling him that is probably not even doing, doing uh, the term justice. Let me read you what he did at his pro day. He ran the 40-yard dash in 4-2-9. He's sub 4-3. Just uh, unfathomable speed. And he jumped 45 and a half inches off the ground with his two feet after bending his knees. He was 45 and a half inches off the ground. That's legit, too. This isn't like... Earl Manigo on the the blacktop at Rucker Park picking bills off the backboard where where you kind of have to trust the validity of it, how much of it is of it is exaggerated. This is official. 45 and a half inch vertical. God damn, that is stupid. Um, so stupid, in fact, it is higher than Zion Williamson and LeBron James. So just a little cross sports reference for you. And uh yeah, so Cards, I mean, their offense, they're they're continuing to add nice pieces around Kyler Murray. So they got DeAndre Hopkins, Christian Kirk, and Rondell Moore. It's going to really allow Cliff Kingsbury to get tricky on offense. So this is a big year for him, uh, calling the plays there as a, as a head coach with uh, with Kyler, who I love. I love Kyler Murray. Um, I'm expecting big things from that offense this season. And staying in the second round, my – the last player I want to profile here, who was one of my favorite picks of the round, came one pick, second last pick in the round, one pick before we took Kyle Trask uh, at a position we could have used, which is center or interior offensive lineman, and that's Creed Humphrey out of Oklahoma. I think he could end up one day maybe being like one of the top centers in, in the sport, a uh, similar outlook to uh, Landon Dickerson out of Alabama. I just... Yeah, I, I think that's great value. And the Chiefs there are addressing uh, a major need. So they really shored up their offensive line this draft, which is huge. And uh, I think there's a good chance we see we see a Super Bowl rematch. Not necessarily, but it's a good chance of it for sure because the Chiefs have really, really reinforced the trenches on the offensive side of the ball. 
Okay, on to the third round. My favorite players in the third round. How are we doing for time here? Okay, not too bad. Uh, third round, offensive tackle Jalen Mayfield out of Michigan. The Falcons took him at 68. Uh, I saw him going in the first, according to a lot of, of draft experts. So you're getting him in the third round at 68. Bingo, bango. That's good value. Um, at 77, Josh Palmer at a Tennessee wide receiver. Uh, Canadian boy, good old boy out of Brampton. Highly productive at Tennessee, playing against the best DBs in the nation. And he was very effective. So really excited to see him um, play with the Chargers, with the weapons they have. Justin Herbert throwing him the ball. Uh, I think he could fit in really nicely there and be a bit of a sleeper. So um, third round, that's good. That's good stuff. Um, Trey Sermon, running back out of Ohio State. He went 88th overall to the Niners. Um, I mean, this guy is a top five back in the draft, mo most uh, commonly considered. And like, let, let me just take you through his last in his last three games. So he, he actually went down on like the second series of the national title game. And I it just broke my heart because he'd been he had looked incredible going into that game. And that was a huge, huge loss for Ohio State early. Fields was already playing banged up. So once Trey Sermon went out, I think he broke his collarbone or popped his shoulder out. Um, you just knew taking away that dynamic of a weapon from their offense. They were in big, big trouble playing against big, bad, mighty Bama. Uh, but anyway, in his last three college games, he ran for almost 650 yards and four total touchdowns. That is some serious production from Trey Sermon. So, and then, you know, he's going to a team, uh, a team like the 49ers with all these offensive pieces in place. I mean, that's a real nice depth piece to, to get there and to get him in the third round. I like it. Um. Staying at the Ohio State University um, with the 105th pick, the Denver Broncos took linebacker Baron Browning. Baron Baron Browning. Um, he's just a tough, really good player, and uh, I think it's good value. Like I think he's going to be like a 10-year or beyond NFL starter at the linebacker position uh, playing, playing with the Broncos. He's going to be going behind that vicious front four with Bradley Chubb and Vaughn Miller coming off an injury. Vic Fangio is going to be a great, great coach for him because that's his specialty, Fangio. And that Broncos defense is is looking real fierce, real fierce. And lastly, the Packers, they took uh, Amari Rogers out of Clemson. He's like a slot receiver, uh, great hands, beautiful routes. He was like their veteran receiver, important presence on that team. Um now the question, so Amari Rogers, the question is, will there will the other A Rogers still be there to get him the ball? Because obviously with everything coming out about Aaron Rodgers demanding a trade, he wants out. I mean, that's gonna directly affect how valuable of a selection Amari Rogers becomes. If Jordan Love's throwing him the ball, and I know that for a fact, I'm probably not even gonna bother including his name. But in this case, I have to assume that Aaron Rodgers will be there because he is currently the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers and um, until I hear otherwise, I think it's a great pairing. I think Rodgers will will make Amari Rod Aaron Rodgers will make Amari Rodgers a very effective rookie right away, and I think he's a nice complement to uh, like Martavius uh, Valdez Scantling, and of course Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones. He he would just fit really nicely in that offense, and um, yeah, 
Okay, that sums up the third round. In the fourth round, my favorite picks of the fourth round. At 107, the New York Jets took Michael Carter, and he was the he was the uh, they had a two headed monster. The Tar Heels did at the running back position. Javante Williams, excuse me, top uh, one of the top running backs in the draft. He was kind of the bell cow stud, but Michael Carter was incredibly efficient and effective. Uh, as a part of that that timeshare between those two and he was kind of like their pass catcher secondary running back but um, he's a fourth rated running back by Thor Nystrom who is one of my most one of the the talent evaluators I respect most he does an incredibly thorough job Uh, looks like he's working for Yahoo currently he used to be with Roto World Um, but he yeah he, he compares he compares Michael Carter to Clyde Edwards Alaire, and he says, worst case, he'll be Giovanni Bernard. So that's uh, some serious claims being made by 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 Thor. Um, he's, as I said, an exceptional receiver. I think I said that. If not, I just did. Um, and a, a really effective runner. He's, I think he's really tailor-made for the NFL, and he's going to be a nice, nice fit for the Jets. Uh, okay. And Derek Barnes, linebacker out of Purdue, the Lions took him. Lions really like addressed the, uh, the core, the front seven of the defense. They got Panay Sewell in the first. And I think Derek Barnes is legit at Purdue. I was, I would have loved for the Bucks to scoop him up, but I wasn't dying for a linebacker. I mean, we certainly don't need one right now, but talent wise in there, you know, with their, third round selection I was I was certainly interested in Derek Barnes and I, I tweeted out as much another player in the fourth unfortunately he's going to be in the NFC South playing for the Panthers um, backing up playing alongside Christian McCaffrey Chuba Hubbard out of Oklahoma State now super interesting Chuba Hubbard uh, I think unlike Unlike uh, Najee Harris, who really helped his cause and only improved his draft stock, deciding to go back to school, Etienne didn't hurt his stock going back to school. Chuba Hubbard did. He dealt with injuries all year, coming off like a Heisman caliber um, junior season. So anyway, he he hails from Edmonton, Alberta, which is rare enough on its own. But then when you when you dig into his background, or if you know anything about Chuba, he played high school football in Alberta. It's not like he went to some prep school down south. He played high school football in Alberta and ended up going to Oklahoma State to be their starting running back. Pretty incredible. Um, so, yeah, he's from he's from Sherwood Park, Alberta. In his three years there in high school, he had uh, 7,000 yards and 82 touchdowns. Not like that's relevant to any other form of competition. But uh, his skill sure is how translated. He's like a track star, right? He's a burner. I think for his senior year, he maybe put on a bit too much bulk and it kind of slowed him down a little bit. But I think he's getting slept on. And I think in, in the fourth round, I think he's a, a lovely addition to the Panthers' backfield and he'll complement McCaffrey quite nicely. And from an individual perspective, like if McCaffrey goes down, which is certainly, I wouldn't even, I mean, it's likely he misses some games based on his, his uh, track record with injuries. Chuba Hubbard could be uh, even like a deep fantasy sleeper maybe. Uh, and the last pick I want to talk about in the fourth round, Tylen Wallace, also from Oklahoma State. He was their number one receiver. The Ravens took him at 131. Um, and, I mean, he's no Tyler Johnson, who the Bucks got in the fifth last year. I think Tyler Johnson's a better prospect. But Tylen Wallace is still a very good player. 
Um, and definitely a top 10 receiver. I think, well, maybe not definitely, but potentially a top 10 receiver in this draft class. And uh, he was the 19th receiver taken. So that there is value with a capital V, my friends. Okay. I'm, I'm, I, I like this pace. This is a good pace. Fifth round. Fifth round pick. My favorite pick of the fifth round, hands down. One of my favorite picks in the draft. Howie Roseman and the Philadelphia Eagles. A little bit of redemption for them. That uh, I know a lot of Philly fans have been disappointed in how he's drafted and some of the personnel decisions he's made over the last few years since their Super Bowl glory years. Um, he took Kenneth Gainwell, running back out of Memphis, and this kid is good. He is legit. He could have went way earlier. I was really surprised to see him sitting around. That's another guy I would have liked the Bucks to get their hands on around this point of the draft. Um, it's just late to get a player of that talent. Uh, incredibly quick feet. He's like a tap dancer out there. Um, amazing hands. Great receiver. He was originally recruited as a receiver, actually, uh, at Memphis. And he just had one insane season. Before that, he was playing with, he was sharing the backfield with Antonio Gibson. Um, so I think maybe that's why he was sliding under the radar at that point. Memphis is really a bit of a running back factory, low key. And uh, yeah, my boy D'Angelo Williams at one time was a Memphis Tiger. Uh, but yeah, so Gainwell, he projects really well the NFL, in my opinion. His skill set is really well suited, similar to like I talked about Michael Carter for the Jets. Just these, you, you as a running back, you got to be able to catch a football. That is something that is essential. It's a huge asset for an offense to have if they don't have to bring in a specialist on third down to all of a sudden introduce the threat of, of receptions coming out of the backfield. It's like having another receiver. And if a team, like like the Bucks, at times when, when you've got Ro, uh, Ronald Jones especially in there, it's just there's just not much of a threat to throw him the ball. And, and uh, Leftwich and the Bucks offense kept trying to do that because we, we all want Ronald Jones to catch the damn football because he's so electric in space, um, so fast. If he can get that damn ball in his hands, but he's got bricks under his gloves. So uh, not these guys, not these new age running backs. They all know they got to catch the ball if they want to be valued. And Kenneth Gainwell was not valued enough coming out of Memphis. Good job for uh, the Eagles. And uh, some of my Eagles friends, I've been talking to them about, about Kenny Gaines, Kenneth Gainwell, and uh, I told them they should be excited. And with the 158th pick, we're staying in the fifth round still. The Panthers took Dav Davion Nixon, who's a defensive tackle out of Iowa. Uh, sure, this was a bad draft for defensive linemen. I've said that many times. Um, I didn't have one defensive tackle going in the uh, first round of the draft. And sure enough, that happened. That happened. None went. And it's been uh, that hasn't happened in 30 years. So that just speaks to the poor quality of the defensive tackle class. But that doesn't mean that Davion Nixon isn't better value, isn't a better player than a fifth round pick almost in any other draft. So uh, great job by the Panthers identifying that and uh, pulling the trigger, adding to their D line. And unfortunately staying in the NFC South, my last, the last player of the three that I'm talking about in the fifth, uh, Avery Williams, Avery, that's my daughter's name. Hi, Avery. Uh, he cornerback out of Boise, 183rd pick to the Falcons, solid corner, uh, and a really good returner. So it's always nice if you got a guy who has a potential to play corner, uh, and not just is strictly a returner. And this guy can do both. He's someone I, I, uh, a lot of Tampa people had their, their eyes on around this point of the draft. Sixth round, uh, Trey Smith, who's an offensive guard out of the University of Tennessee, real big boy, 
the Chiefs, god damn, freaking Chiefs, uh, continuing to, to find guys who are going to help them on that offensive line. This is a much improved unit from last year. They've really done a good job of, of changing the makeup of that group. And uh, with a 20, 226th overall pick, getting Trey Smith is crazy value. Uh, John Ledyard uh, with uh, the Pewter Report, he had identified Trey Smith as a potential second-round target for the Buccaneers. We're talking sixth round. We're talking like 160 picks later than that. Uh, so that's crazy. He slipped. Apparently, there were some like internal organ concerns. So obviously, that's significant. Um, hope he's okay. I hope it's nothing too serious. But obviously, that eventually uh, the cookie crumbled, and then the Chiefs were like, "Fuck this. We're taking this kid." And I don't blame him. That's like the type of risky pick I would have loved the Bucks to make. You know, you can take a chance. You can take a swing. You're in a rare position where you can. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, a player I really like who also went in the sixth round out of UCLA. He's listed as um, – he's like a running back slash wide receiver. Like he's listed as a running back, but he's almost more of a receiver, I believe. But uh, no, no, like I, I know he's more of a receiver than a running back in my opinion, but I'm trying to – I'm saying I believe he was listed at running back. Uh, 211th, the Browns got him. Good job by the, these Brownies. He's like a Randall Cobb type of guy, like just this hybrid scat back and uh, also a great returner. So that's really phenomenal value in the sixth round in the 200s for the Browns who just had a rock solid draft. God damn. And one player no one else in the world seems to have any uh, eyes on, positive positive eyes on other than me, but Sam Ellinger, quarterback out of Texas. Colts got him at two, two with the 218th pick. I like him. I think he's like, I think he's got enough talent that he's worth taking a flyer at this point of the draft. And um, Frank Reich, you know, he he's former Buffalo Bills backup quarterback, and he, he's known to get the most out of his quarterbacks. I don't think even he can do it with Carson Wentz this year. Uh, but Sam Ellinger, some nice value. They've acquired a couple decent, pretty good uh, young backup quarterbacks there for him to work with if Wentz does uh, do what I expect and suck. Seventh round, one guy I want to talk about who was drafted in the seventh round, and that is Presley Harvin III, the punter out of Georgia, the 260-pound punter out of Georgia. He's got a cannon for an arm and a boot for a leg. He uh, he can throw the ball like 60 yards in the air, and they like to use him for fake, uh, fake, fake punts and passes over at uh, Georgia Tech. So... Uh, yeah, he's he's a cool player. He's hilarious. Google or YouTube him. I sent it to my buddies. They were loving it. I've, he's a legend already. Uh, so yeah, Presley Harvin. Keep an eye on him for the Steelers. It'll be worth watching them turn the ball over on on downs or, or when they punt it up, just to see that boy go. Okay, so that was my kind of rapid fire through all the players in, round by round that I really liked and thought were great value selections for their respective teams. It is now time for me to look at how the teams did. And I've broken down. I've looked at every every team's draft. I obviously watched every second of the draft. Um, and and uh, I feel pretty good about this list here. Very unbiased, very objective. And you'll be able to tell because I think an NFC South team is in it. So, okay. So I'm going to start with the what I'm calling the final four of the 10 best drafts and these are the four best drafts in my opinion and they're not in a particular order these four drafts it's just these are the four that are the four best uh the new york jets 
Yep, the New York Jets. Uh, general manager manager Joe Douglas and head head coach, new head coach Robert Sala. Uh, I think they should be really happy, especially with their first four selections. And I mean, you don't have to. Sm- it's hard to give reactions on guys you don't you don't even know at all or barely at all. So I can't. But the the first four picks, I'm super enthused about for them. Um, each of these picks are going to, they're all offensive guys and they're all going to dramatically improve this, this team. If, if they play how I would expect them to, uh, Zach Wilson in the first round, Elijah Vera Tucker in the first round, um, Elijah Moore in the second round, he's the, the speedy stud receiver out of Ole Miss. He's electric. So that's huge to get him in the second round. I mean, offense, offensive line quarter, they got their new quarterback, the new offensive line interior offensive line, which is a glaring need. Uh, and then they get a, a stud receiver. Like that's three important positions on the offense, obviously. And then they got Michael Carter, the uh, running back I already mentioned is one of my favorite picks in the draft in the fourth round. So of course, you know, they had two firsts, a second and a fourth. That's what they used to acquire these four players. So uh, additional draft capital always helps, obviously. But if, you know, that doesn't mean shit if you don't use those picks wisely. And they did. So good on them. Good on Joe Douglas. Uh, the Jets have put themselves in a much better position coming out of the draft than they were going into it. Now, for each of these teams as well, I've just kind of, a, I just want to ask like a, a question. The biggest question they're facing moving forward with the Jets, it's will the burden be too big for these rookies to all meet expectations? And what I mean by that is, like, who is their starting running back? I, I talked about Michael Carter being such a great complimentary back at North Carolina, receiving skills, but I don't know if he's a bell cow right away. So is it going to be a tandem of him and Frank Gore? Um, and, and similar to Elijah Moore, the receiver. I love Elijah Moore. He's not a big guy. He's not like – so is it like him and Rashad Perryman? Like, who's the number one to take the heat off these guys, right? That's a tough position to go into as a rookie. And of course, um, Zach Wilson's going to have the weight of the world uh, in New York on his shoulders to perform as well. So, you know, there's some concerns. Can those guys handle it? Can they hold up or can the can the New York Jets fans be uh, a little bit patient with these guys? But they need to bring in some veterans to help. I don't know what their cap situation is and or what they're going to do in terms of uh, free agency or what their plans are. But they're going to need to bring someone else to take the heat off those young fellas. It's tough to come into the National Football League and be expected to carry the load right away at all those important skill positions. All right, so the second of my final four teams, in addition to the New York Jets, who had the best draft in the NFL, the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Their GM, Andrew Barry, um, has done a great job. I think this is his first draft or second draft with the Browns. but. And I t- I've talked a lot about the talent that has been assembled in Cleveland over the last few years. So you got to give some some respect to John Dorsey, who was previously their general manager. And I thought his tenure was a little short-lived. Um, but uh, anyway, him and Scott McLuhan was involved in that as well. He was like that crazy stories on Scott McLuhan, who was like a guru of talent evaluation. But he's, you know, he gets into the bottle and has some issues. So um, he's no longer there either. So anyway, Andrew Barry doing everything he can as a new GM and uh, head coach Ed Stefanski's got to be pleased. Cleveland Browns, round one. I already talked about Greg Newsom, the second cornerback out of Northwestern. Love him. 
Round two, 52nd overall, linebacker, Jeremiah Owusu-Kormoa. You guys are probably sick of hearing me say his name. I've said it so much. Love him. Round three, 91st overall, wide receiver out of Auburn, Anthony Schwartz. He is a burner. He's fast AF. Um, so that's a nice piece to add. You know, you already got Odell and Jarvis and these, these good receiving options. Throw in a burner out there. Stretch the field even more so Odell can work underneath on, on ins and outs and slants and digs and all that good shit. And the same for, uh, same for uh, his buddy there, his old LSU buddy, Jarvis Landry. <laughs> Pretty much forgot his name. And then their sixth round pick I talked about is one of my favorite picks in the draft, at least in the sixth round anyway, at 211th UCLA running back slash wide receiver, Demetric Felton, nice gadget player, return specialist. He'll be a nice, nice addition too. So just continuing to stockpile and add logs to the fire. Uh, we'll see how she burns. My big question for them, can Baker Mayfield take the next step? Um, that's what it all comes down to there. I love Stefanski running their offense. They just seem like oh, this this franchise has t- turned a corner. They seem to be well-organized. They have all these pieces. But is Baker the real deal or not? And he's got to prove it this year. He did fine last year. He, he exceeded my expectations after the previous season, and that's great. But that's not good enough. He's the number one overall selection. Uh, he's got to take another step forward. I like Baker. I want him to do well. Uh, but I'm not. I'm just not yet sold that uh, he he's shown the consistency or the poise and leadership to do it. He's a little erratic for my liking. Streakiness can be fun to watch from the outside, but I'm sure it's not for Browns fans. All right, so the Jets and the Browns, two of the best four drafts in my humble opinion. The other team, I said, I, I uh, you know, I mentioned there was, uh, was going to have some trouble. I'd have to mention an NFC South team, and I'm doing it now. The Carolina Panthers. Uh, Scott Fitterer, their general manager, who was previously the uh, Seahawks VP of football ops. Lots of good experience there. Uh, second, going into his second year out of Baylor as the former head coach at Baylor, who really rebuilt that program, Matt Rule. I really like Matt Rule. He just seems cool. Like, I like, I like him. I like him. I like his philosophy. I like how he articulates his philosophy. I like the hiring. Like, he hired Greg Brady at LSU, a really young offensive coordinator who led that 2019 Tigers uh, to the national title with Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson and Clyde Edwards-Alaire, all that fun group. But he put those guys in a position to succeed. And I think he's also been overachieving as a play caller already in his young career in the NFL. He's he's getting the most out of Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore and those guys and Bridgewater when he's got to play or when they, when they lost McCaffrey, they're still finding ways. Like I know they're not winning a ton of games, but, Look out because they got J.C. Horn in the first, Terrace Marshall in the Terrace Marshall Jr. in the second receiver out of LSU. Obviously, there's a connection there between uh, Greg Brady, the offensive coordinator. Uh, but to get him at almost 60th, Terrace Marshall Jr. A lot of people had eyes on him going in the first round, potentially like towards the end, maybe the Ravens. Instead, the Ravens opted for Rashad Bateman, but. Terrace Marshall is legit. That's a huge addition. Brady Christensen, offensive tackle out of BYU. He was keeping Zach Wilson's backside safe um, at 70th overall in the third. That is a nice, nice pick. Good, strong offensive tackle. Not many holes in his game, from my understanding. They got my boy Chuba, Chuba Hubbard out of Edmonton, Alberta. Holler at your boy, Bowdan Yard. Um, That's wicked. That's great value. I already talked about it. 
And the same goes for Davion Nixon. He was one of the other picks I thought was phenomenal value in the fifth round at 158. So holy shit. And then Shai Smith, uh, wide receiver out of South Carolina in the sixth. We're in the 200s there. But I think he has a chance to stick around potentially. We'll see. It's a bit of a crowded receiving corpse there now. Um, but anyway, that's six players that I like from their draft. So a lot of these teams, I like them. They've made my final four or my top 10 best drafts because even if it's just because they smash four picks, right? Maybe they even smashed three picks and they were just such good players at such key positions that I think they warranted it. The teams that making my top 10 best drafts can do it any which way they want. It doesn't matter. It could be star power with a couple guys or it could be just a super solid top to bottom draft identifying undervalued players at at important positions like the Carolina Panthers have done so uh yeah they're building something there their biggest question heading into next season the 2021 NFL season is Sam Darnold the answer <clears throat> that's my question I don't know the answer yet I think Sam Darnold uh, I don't blame the Jets for moving on because they had to they had that second pick with this quarterback class you can't not pull the trigger on one of those guys so you got to move them they got a second round pick I think next year from the Panthers um, for him so that's a fine deal but I'm not I'm not hating on the Panthers for taking their shot on Sam Darnold either I I think you got to get him in a new situation he's got a ton of talent still he's young like he could he could pop there with these weapons he's in a great situation now. And yeah, one more time, I got to say how much I love J.C. Horn. I'm not looking forward to having him line up, but I mean, good luck, man. Man up on Mike. Godwin and A.B. are going to eat you. So we'll see what happens. But J.C. Horn's a fun player. I'll, I'll be seeing him twice a year. You can count on it, J.C. Okay, so, so far, Panthers, Cleveland Browns, New York Jets, Three of my final four, the four best drafts, the fourth and final best draft, in my opinion, the Denver Broncos. Uh, Their general manager, new general manager, George Payton, uh, looks like Patton, but I believe it's pronounced Payton. Um, His first four picks were all fantastic. He got he stuck Pat at 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 nine. There was lots of speculation. They were pushing hard for Aaron Rodgers, but the, the Packers obviously weren't budging in that area. So they stayed pat. There was a lot of people thought that was like Trey Lance or a quarterback going there. Um, if you follow me on Twitter, you know I predicted this to be either J.C. Horn or Patrick Sertain, whichever was there, just because I <clears throat> I just think Vic Fangio's defensive philosophy is so predominant in his in his way of coaching, and he's obviously got an influence with the GM. And th- that that defense is already looking real good with Von Miller coming back. I think I mentioned that earlier. So you throw Patrick Sertain in the mix. The talent of those top two corners, J.C. Horn and Patrick Sertain, is just too strong to pass up. The only other possible option I was considering, and I believe I had in my first 1.0 mock draft, was Micah Parsons, the linebacker out of Penn State. And he's he's awesome, but he's not like to have a top, top tier potential shutdown all pro cornerback. You got to take that. You got to take that in this passing league that the NFL is. Um, and they got that in Patrick Sertain, at least as a prospect. So, um, then, uh, second round pick 35th overall, Javante Williams. I mentioned Thor Nystrom. I've mentioned him a couple times cause I respect his work so much. He had Javante Williams as his number one running back ahead of Najee Harris, ahead of Travis Etienne. He had Javante Williams number one. Again, he's the other side of that two headed monster they had in North Carolina. Speaking of North Carolina, that team is always just putting out great professional football players but the team's never good i don't get it 
the hell's going on there? Um, but yeah, Javante Williams, that's huge, man. He, he's going to come in there and be a, be super effective right away. Then to help keep uh, Javante Williams with holes to run through, they got Quinn Miners, pardon me, inside interior offensive lineman out of Wisconsin, Whitewater, small school, uh, big body. So 98th overall pick. He, he's a really good player. He was He's rated much higher than that on everyone's most people's board. So I'm not sure how he was available that late into the third round, almost at pick 100. Uh, Quinn Miners, that guy's, that guy's good. And then uh, Baron Browning, the linebacker at Ohio State. I already talked about him, about why I like him, about why he's great value in the third round with the 105th pick. Highly rated linebacker. A lot of people had as a borderline, well, first is a stretch, but like a second round player. They got him in the third in the hundreds. So biggest question for the Denver Broncos heading into this season is pretty obvious. Who is their quarterback? First of all, is it is it Drew Locke or is it Teddy Bridgewater? And secondly, can you still win in the NFL without a legit quarterback? They got quarterbacks. They don't have legit quarterbacks. Um, I mean, I think of like Brad Johnson in Tampa. I mean, that's why this past Super Bowl was so much sexier as a Bucks fan. Uh, we had we had a quarterback who was fun to watch throw. I, like I respect and the hell out of Brad Johnson. Thank you. You brought Tampa Bay their first Super Bowl victory, took us out of the dungeon. But damn, he was boring. No swag at all. Just just didn't look fun out there. It was like if John Stockton, Greg Ostertag, Carl Malone, that Utah Jazz team was all molded into a quarterback, swagless. But he got the dub. Thank you for that, Brad. Uh, and like Trent Dilfer, the the New York Giants in two thousand. Um, Sorry, but for the Baltimore Ravens when they beat the New York Giants in 2000 in the Super Bowl, Trent Dilfer wasn't very good, but he he, he wasn't bad. Back in those days, if you had a, an elite defense, game managers could get it done without by not turning the ball over, by being smart, by working um, in tandem with the offensive coordinator in order to call a good game and execute a, an effective game plan. I don't know if that's going to work these days, man. These offenses are just so lethal. But... But the Broncos have put together an elite, elite defense. Now I expect their defense to be towards the top against the run and the pass next season, especially with Vic Fangio heading that group up. Um, But they need a quarterback. And if they somehow come away with Aaron Rodgers, which is obviously uh, something they want to do, then I'm legitimately very concerned as a Buccaneers fan about having to deal with the Broncos at any point in the season. Okay, so that's the four. That's the best four drafts, according to me, Colin Hallboom, here at Bucks Banter. Denver Bronco, Broncos, Carolina Panthers, Cleveland Browns, and New York Jets. The four of them are just together. That's the final four. So my honorable mentions, the other six that have, have make up the top ten of the best drafts, also in no particular order. The Chicago Bears. Holy shit, we're almost at an hour in a solo pod. I'm really, uh, really going here. Um, sorry, the Chicago Bears. So make fun of the Bears all the time. I have until draft day when they they made the move. They gave up next year's first rounder and fourth rounder to swap from twenty up to up to eleven in order to select Justin Fields. They had to do it. You have to take risks in order to acquire a potentially franchise altering talent at the most important position in professional sports. Uh, they did that. So good for them. Good for them. If you're going to do it, do it for Justin Fields. I love Tevin Jenkins, um, the offensive tackle at Oklahoma State. Talked about him a shit ton. 
Uh, and then the sixth rounder they got, I like too, Thomas Graham Jr. He's a cornerback out of Oregon. Uh, he graded out above 80 by Pro Football Focus uh, both the last two years he played at college football, but he's an opt-out this past year, and I think that hurt his stock. I think a lot of guys who opted out, maybe because it's just old-school coaches or just because they didn't have the tape, so they weren't as confident in selecting a guy they had no recent tape on. Um, but that I've seen some of these guys slip who opted out, quite a few of them, uh, and he's one of those guys. So anyway, that's three solid picks, but it's really with the Bears, it's just because they made that move for Justin Fields and they nabbed uh, Trevon Jenkins, Tevin Jenkins uh, in the second round when they did. That's just such important pieces for them because they do have, have good players on the other side of the ball on defense, just missing that quarterback piece. So the question for the Chicago Bears moving forward, does Matt Nagy have enough time for Justin Fields to save his job, meaning Matt Nagy's job? Um, he's He's got to be on the hot seat over there already. He, and, I mean, he drafted Trubisky, who, sure, Trubisky is not good. But still, I don't believe he – for an offensive coach, I don't believe he customized his offense to put Trubisky in a position to be successful. I think he was a little bit stubborn like that, you know? So, like, like even this past year, he's got Foles and Trubisky almost game to game to start the year. Who's the starter? Running the same offense. They're completely different players. So, just a, I don't know, some inconsistency there. So, I, I hope he can put Justin Fields in a position to be successful and, and tailor the offense around his skills. Lucky, luckily for him, Justin Fields is, doesn't have many weaknesses as a quarterback. So, he'll be able to be successful. Just don't fuck it up, Nagy. Or I'll, or I'll come back for you like I have right before, up until this draft. Um, the other Another team had a great draft, New York Giants. Um, surprised to say that about Dave Gettleman. He's often the butt of all the draft day jokes, but uh, he gets a nod of approval here from Mr. Hallboom. Um, they moved, I already talked about They're on the other side of the Bears deal. They were sitting at 11, wanted a receiver um, or a defensive player just because that's how Gettleman operates or a lineman, I guess, but... Uh, anyway, they, they were willing to move back to 20, and they pulled the trigger on a receiver with that pick, Kadarius Toney, one of my favorite receivers in the draft. Uh, and then they acquire a first-round pick, an additional first-round pick next year, and an additional fourth-round pick next year. That's how you how you can help your team right away and create a sustainable model for adding future talent to a young team, a young core. So that's huge. Um, and then in the second round, they got my guy, Aziz Ojaleri, who I wanted the Bucks to take at 32 defensive end out of Georgia. So two of my favorite players in the draft at their respective positions go to the New York Giants. I don't give a shit what else you did. Good job there. Question there is, can their new offense match their much-approved defense? So a lot of people are really high on the players that the uh, Giants have assembled over the last couple of years. Coming into this year, they're expected to have a really solid defensive unit. I think they graded out strongly this past year um, in some like advanced metrics. So the forecasting there is for a strong defense. They definitely got the pieces on the offense. Like uh, my boy, Saquon Barkley's coming back. Um, and then, you know, they're throwing in uh, – or they just acquired Kenny Galladay, pair him with Kadarius Tony. That's just lovely, lovely little pairing. Um, but Daniel Jones is also – we'll see, buddy. We'll see what you got. Um, another team in the top 10 best drafts, Los Angeles Chargers. Rashawn Slater at 13, didn't have to – go up to get a top two tackle in this draft an absolute all pro caliber left tackle for years to come Rashawn Slater that is so huge especially because they have such a promising quarterback in Justin Herbert you got to keep him safe fuck I love Justin Herbert he's so good hey eh? isn't he yeah 
it's weird doing a pod on your own. You got no one to talk to, right? Um, and then in the second round, Asante Samuel Jr. at 47. Talked about that plenty. And they got Josh Palmer, the Canadian receiver from the Tennessee Volunteers. Shout out to Evan Winter of Bucks Report. He's based out of Tennessee, and we've been DMing, talking a little bit. And I retweeted him because uh, he had some good intel on Josh Palmer. He believes Josh Palmer is legit. And uh, from what I've seen, he does look that way. <clears throat> Excuse me. Excuse me. Uh, the Chargers' biggest question coming into this year, I think, is was coaching the issue? Was it Anthony Lynn? Because this team has some nice pieces on offense. Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, um, throw in Josh Palmer. That's another good receiver. And they've got really nice pieces on defense. Hopefully Derwin James can stay healthy, man, because that guy's talent's insane. they got some other pieces to play along with him on that defensive unit. So I, I, could, I could totally see – I'm curious to see what their over-under is, the Chargers this year, because I could see them uh, – turning some heads this season and we'll see if the new coaching staff gets all the credit as maybe they should after how Anthony Lynn uh, lost them so many games with his uh, horrible decision-making down the stretch. All right. The Miami dolphins deserve also credit as a top 10 best draft in 2021 new GM, Chris, well, relatively new GM, Chris Greer and head coach, Brian Flores. I like how they're working together. They seem to be, um, really in unison in terms of how they think. And you can tell when coaches and general managers are on the same page. It's just obvious. And uh, there's not that like internal debate and conflict in terms of like valuing positions. Do you go best available? We need to address this position. They're just, they're just step for step. So uh, from my, from my vantage point, anyway, round one, they get Jalen Waddle undisputed stud. And then they go and get Jalen Phillips. I think the 17th pick was their second pick. I should have wrote it down. Um, so that's two studs, edge rusher and an elite receiving prospect. Uh, and then in the second round, they took the first safety that was taken in the draft, another Canadian, Javon Holland out of Oregon. Uh, he's another opt-out, but obviously didn't hurt his stack, stock. Um, he uh, he's, he's a ball hawk. Total ball hawk. His dad played in the CFL for like a bunch of years. Um, he had four picks. Um, in oh shit, I messed that up. Can't drop that stat because I don't have it written down properly. And I refuse to give you uncredible information. I prefer to give you incredible information. Uh, and then in round three, they took a tight end, Hunter Long, out of Boston College. A lot of people like him. Meh. Okay. They deserve to be in the top 10 honorable mention, mainly because of the top end of their draft. Oh, shit. And sorry, second round, Liam Eichenberg, uh, offensive tackle out of Notre Dame, stud O-lineman. That's huge. Got to protect Tua. Um, Got to protect Tua. And he's going to help do that. Notre Dame, football factory of offensive linemen. Like how I was saying, Memphis makes all these good running backs. <clears throat> um, and then the biggest question for Miami coming into this year, they've really got a uh, wicked defense put together now they're getting some offensive pieces in there um is Tua the guy is he the guy Tua obviously coming off that horrible hip injury and like shit just didn't seem right it wasn't a smooth transition into the NFL this will be the year that we see uh he looked incredible in college like a no doubt prospect I, a lot of people had him even being better than Burrow I'm a Burrow guy I always have well always since his 2019 season I've been a Burrow guy but um, we'll see what Tua can do because the excuses are going to run out real quick when he's got all this talent around him. 
Um, and then the next team deserving of honorable mention, the Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, general manager Trent Balky and new head coach Urban Meyer, I think did a pretty solid job in this top-heavy draft. They had these picks, and they took advantage of them early on. Of course, when you get a transcendent quarterback talent like Trevor Lawrence, how do I not mention you? I don't care how you got there. You got the damn pick. Uh, and then tons of people are critical of the Travis Etienne selection. Travis Etienne's my favorite running back in the draft. I think there's something real special there. You've heard me say it. Um, but anyway, in round three, they took Tyson Campbell, cornerback out of Georgia. Or sorry, with their third pick anyway. Um, and he is awesome. Tyson Campbell's really good, and he could be even better in the NFL than he was in college, playing uh, opposite uh, Eric Stokes there at Georgia with that elite defense they have. Um, and then in, in round four, they got Walker Little, an offensive tackle out of Stanford, uh, who's a really solid tackle, better than a round four caliber player. So nice job by the Jags. Uh, they've added a running back, a quarterback, a cornerback, and an offensive tackle. Those are four crucial positions and four really good players who can come in and help out right away. Biggest question for them, I think, now is not are they going to win, and obviously Trevor Lawrence is a big question, what's he going to look like, but are they going to give Etienne the workload to justify the investment of a first-round pick, right? Are they going to, like, what, are they going to create some new role for him as more of a receiver? Um, because they already uh, they already have, what's his name, uh, Robinson? Uh, look it up, sorry. Michael Robinson, what is it? Uh, I'm starting. James Robinson, shit. It's embarrassing. Um, James Robinson and Etienne, I think, could be a nice duo, but you got to keep, if you're taking a running back in the first round, you've got to get him touches. And Travis Etienne is a guy you need to get touches if you want your offense to be reflective of your most electrifying playmakers, which Travis Etienne will immediately become on that offense. Okay. Last team I want to mention, the 10th, in no particular order, but the 10th one I'm covering here that had a great draft is the New England Patriots. Um, they didn't have like a premium first-round pick. They're pretty much dead in the middle almost. Uh, at 15, they had Mac Jones slide all the way down to him. Didn't have to move up to get a quarterback. I projected in my mock draft they would need to move up. I thought seven with the Lions made sense. Since the Lions had so many holes, they could benefit from moving down and acquiring some more draft capital. Um, they didn't do it. Should have known they didn't weren't going to do it. They never do it, ever, especially for quarterback. Uh, and then they get they get Mac Jones, who everyone thought the the Niners were taking at three. And goddamn, what a good situation for him. He just seems like the perfect type of quarterback who's like coachable and intelligent and uh, he's played for Nick Saban. Like that's the kind of shit that just gets Belichick off. So then he, he sticks with Bama in the second round um, with the 38th overall pick and gets Christian Barmore, potentially a first-round talent, probably the best defensive tackle in the draft. That's a nice duo between those two. Incredible first two picks um, without starting from a premier spot, like in the top five or some shit. And then the only other pick that they had that really jumped out at me is uh, out of Oklahoma, running back uh, Ramondre Stevenson. Um, he's good. He's good. Thor Nystrom's fifth-rated running back. They got him with the 120th pick. Add him to their stable of backs. And, uh, you know, more to deal with for the defense. So my question for the New England Patriots is, who's going to start at quarterback? They got Cam. I mean, it's got to be Mac Jones, right? 
I mean, unless Bill pulls out some weird stubborn shit, I don't, I don't, I don't know how he's going to play it. No one knows of Bill. You never know what he's going to do. Um, but you know what he's not going to do, and that's trade up for a fucking quarterback, Colin. Why did I mock that? I don't know. Um, so yeah, has Bill's revenge tour already begun? Are they going to turn it around this quickly from last season? Because even though they were were uh, finding a way to come out with some victories, they didn't look great last year. They looked, they did not look good last year. It looked like a franchise going down big time. But uh, they invested heavily in free agency, like big time. That's all everyone was talking about. Say big time one more time, Colin. Losing my mind here. Um, so we'll see. We'll see if we'll see if they can turn it around this quick. If Bill Belichick can do it, I think he's probably the greatest football coach of all time. And uh, obviously I wasn't around really for Vince Lombardi's prime, but, or Bill Walsh's, but um, I think he's the greatest coach of all time. And we'll see what he can do with Mac Jones and the rest of that roster that he's paid so much to bring together. Okay. There we go. Just over an hour. That is my like full, full draft review. Um, after having already focused specifically on round one with the podcast and then on round two with a podcast, I did, I, we did the live one. Um, yeah, that was a lot of fun. That's, that's my thoughts on the best players selected. That's my thoughts on the teams that helped themselves the most this draft. That is my thoughts on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers selections this year. Thankfully, you know, they're not dependent on a great draft. They're running back. Such a dynamic, well-rounded team. I'm so jacked up. I just think they could have taken a more, a couple more swings on some guys with really, really high potential. That's what I wanted, not like the Kyle Trask thing. But whatever, I will cheer for Kyle Trask. I hope he does well, and I hope I'm wrong. Um, on that note, please make sure you have been working hard, putting out t- uh, what I think is good written content on the NFL draft and just the NFL in general, those articles will keep coming. Might take a little bit of a break here because I've worn myself down during this NFL draft, but it's been really fun. I love nothing more. And I, I want to thank you personally, whoever's listening or watching for tuning in and uh, supporting us here at Bucks Banter over and out. <laughs>